For July 27th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 630, the call and response of problem and solution. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet, but just how smart are we? Just how cognitively assessed are we, your smart, funny friends from the internet? We, uh, we want to figure it out. We want to know. So... Uh, Let's uh, let's um, let's dive in, you know, in an era where uh, in a time, I mean, era, I guess every day under uh, under these conditions is kind of like a geological era. And yet they all seem to pass rapidly and uh, no one no one knows. It's disorienting. Have you had your cognition assessed recently? No. In a a time where like the latest thing seems to be the leader of the free world uh, bragging that he can identify a picture of an elephant on a cognitive assessment meant to uh, figure out whether you, um, you know, have Parkinson's disease or not, uh, or are like, you know, I don't know, way out of it, you know, uh, are concussed or something. Um, it's, it seems a good idea to talk about, uh, to talk about tests. Let's talk about tests. Let's talk about assessments of all kinds. I am your proctor. Matt Rather, and I am here with uh, my good friends Pete Fenzel. Pete, uh, person, woman, man, camera, TV. Oh, person, woman, man, camera, TV to you too, man. <laughs> and Mark Lee. Mark, person, woman, man, camera, TV. Person, man, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you can't go to the bathroom until we are done with section. I, I protest the conditions of this exam. I'm going to write a strongly written letter to you, Mr. Proctor, and your supervisor. Um. So let's uh let's jump in. Um <laughs> what was the last test that you remember taking? Pete, is there a is there a test of some kind in your in your recent past? Sure, sure. So I have to take tests pretty frequently in my line of work, ah. uh which um these tests usually relate. I call them uh, uh I call them Cape and, mustache, uh, cape and mustache trainings, where you take tests on the ethical behavior in given situations, professional situations. So you have to take a course on, uh, you know, you take it once a year in various sorts of things to not do badly or wrongly, as it were. Uh, and then you have to take a test to prove that you are, uh, in fact, at least have some sense of what is against the law or against the rules or against the ethics of your company mm. that you're working at. So uh, I like my beard and mustache uh, uh, training. I, I find it to be uh, quite enjoyable. And um, so I actually I, I've enjoyed taking it. And although it has gotten much, much easier over the years, which is probably one of the more curmudgeon attitudes I have is like, Burke in my day, this was actually difficult. You actually had to read the policy. And now it's like trivially easy um, because they want to make sure that people don't totally check out. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, I, I take tests at work all the time. And uh, I, I also voluntarily do various sorts of quizzes that I find on the Internet, but not like sporkle things like math related stuff for, for fun and giggles. But uh, but yeah, but but the work stuff is probably the most uh, the most recent. I guess if you do like qu- crossword puzzles or Sudoku or like, you know, uh, to a certain extent, those are our tests. Right. Like that. That is to say there is a right Ooh. answer and there is a bad outcome. You know, that's interesting. But the consequences, though, maybe yeah, well, yeah. let's 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 talk about that more. Yeah. Mark, what about what about you? Are you are your tests work related? 
Yeah, I've t- recently I've taken a couple of uh, pretty significant um, and fairly high consequence multiple choice exams related to employment circumstances, the details of which I probably can't get into talking about now, but required like, you know, intense concentration, you know, reading this thing, sitting down at a computer um, and deciphering what the best responses perhaps not you know because there might be multiple quote-unquote correct ones but you have to choose the best one um those were not difficult uh tests but the very most recent thing that i did was actually a single uh multiple choice uh, assessment of it security computer information security um you like that the gist is that you watch a video humorous video portraying some infosec sort of scenario you know hacking um uh, phishing, that sort of stuff. And then you're presented with a single multiple choice question to say, you know, this is the scenario and what is the correct uh, action to do? Um, and I did get uh, select the correct answer for that, along with 70% of my colleagues. Thank you very much. Um, for all of those, it's like really interesting to think about were the how answers, Were the answers like, accept a bribe to look the other way? A, I, I, D, I have like, those. Yeah, I have those assessments as well, too. Yeah, but this yeah. is basically like, do you take the laptop with you? Do you leave it locked in the trunk of the car? That sort of thing. Oh, um, but like, you know, those like when you're assessing that way, you're 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 what you're, you're, you're selecting, you know, for multiple choice thing. Um, and that's supposed to gauge how you would react like in an actual workplace situation where you're incredibly distracted and, you know, you got emails and phone calls flying in at you. There's like a huge gulf between those things. Right. And I, I would love to talk more about that with you if the opportunity arises. But, um, yeah, uh, those those are the tests that I've taken recently. Yeah, sure. I uh, so I uh, got like google added a you know test your iq online thing and i was randomly clicking through links uh on the internet just wasting time so i clicked on this and i answered like 10 questions some of which were hard uh and then it told me to enter my email and credit card number to get my uh, to get my <laughs> test results <laughs> and so i did not get my test that, results that was part of the test matt you failed apparently <laughs> no it's yeah i i failed the last crucial question question which was to sign over my personal information to unknown uh to unknown actors for them to do whatever they want to do with it no i mean i guess yeah the last test i took um was uh the last test i took that had like quizzes and had um consequences was probably like an asset a management uh training the assessment after a management training like did i get the like the california laws right do i know the particular categories of non-discrimination law or you know stuff like that um and you know it was all delivered uh it was all delivered online um and uh or like maybe also the uh also the um probably some sort of like job related like technology uh type of thing i tend to fail those uh because like the the i end up like starting long disquisitions about you know different programming paradigms and kind of the philosophy of computation and like that at the end of it whatever 24 year old was unlucky enough to have to administer to to me is like yeah but the job was to add a list of three numbers and you have not done that so (laughs) (laughs) so you cannot work here at our uh, technology enabled salad company so um uh what what was the last test that you gave that you um 
administered. Can you, sorry, this was not one that we prepped beforehand. Can you think of one? Mine are also the job, you know, job related stuff in, in technology. They're sort of notorious for these like gotcha factoid, you know, trivial pursuit style, um, questions. And I, I try really hard to not give those and, uh, do something that will test critical thinking ability to solve a problem and, you know, command of some domain knowledge that that is important. So one, if you interview with me ever for a computer programming job, don't don't uh, be surprised if I ask you to write a program that accepts an input of uh, of numbers, you know, typed in on the keypad and uh, writes out the numbers in words, um, which uh goes into a, a number of kind of problem solving and, and programming related topics. Um, but I don't know, have you, have you given an assessment, uh, Pete, or a, a test to anyone recently? Well, this is an interesting question. I don't know if I actually had told you guys about this. I auditioned last week, I think it was, or maybe it was just Monday. It was uh, maybe six days ago f- to be a, an online proctor for national high school academic competitions. Oh, cool. Um, in history and science. So I had to give a mock lightning round and, and sort of read mock questions to an auditor who was playing the role of the person answering the questions. So then again, this is much more of a game show format than a uh, than, than a like uh, a, a sort of school quiz format. But it's very similar. And I did I did have the experience of giving an assessment, but it wasn't the instrumentality of it was for my benefit or rather for their benefit evaluating me rather than for the auditor's benefit in knowing which Romanov was, which, uh, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, but so I, I, I would, I would hope to have that kind of opportunity in the future. Uh, but as of yet, it has not been secured and we shall see if, if my, uh, my talents get put to good use, uh, as it were. Mark, so other than, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Other than that, have I given a quiz of any kind or a test um, probably not. I don't, I probably don't get much of an opportunity to do that, which is unfortunate because it's a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, maybe I'll just ask people questions just as a, as a joke. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I don't have the, I haven't had the opportunity. Mark, have you had the opportunity recently? I mean, along those lines, I've played, uh, Jeopardy host for virtual, uh, Jeopardy played on uh... quarantine, you know, quarantine Jeopardy over, over zoom uh, of consequence though. Like, uh, you know, I'll talk a little bit about my job for just a second. Like I am in a very roundabout way. Um, not directly responsible, not very roundabout. I, I am not directly responsible, but indirectly responsible for the administration of the exam to become a taxi driver in the city of New York. It's mostly, it is, it is entirely multiple choice. Um, and, uh, not, it is not entirely obvious and just particularly not uh, easy. If uh, English is not your first language, even though the exam is offered in multiple languages, you can switch back and forth, just like the whole journey to get to that point, uh, and, uh, be able to sit for and pass that exam is, uh, not trivial. And, uh, it might surprise you. Or it might not surprise you that some people go through quite extraordinary length to try to cheat on this <laughs> exam. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, coworkers of mine and, uh, mostly coworkers of mine, but very little bit me, uh, go, you know, have to, uh, pre- you know, do some creative thinking to prevent people, uh, from cheating on said exam. But, uh, it, like, I guess your point, Matt, like it is, it is very much the exception of administering these sorts of things, right? Um, 
uh, we are this is more far more common to be the on the receiving end of these sorts of exams. Uh, and I guess to give one out is to have a power not unlike that of a god, is it not? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, like I feel like yeah, we could do like a Sappho poem, right? Like he he seems to me to be equal to the gods. Indeed, he seems to surpass the gods. This man who chewing his pencil sits on the other side of the desk administering the SAT to a group of bored and disaffected students. Uh, why should he chew that pencil when I, miserable me, sit here? Oh, the, no, sorry, that's uh, Latin, not, uh, not Greek. I don't know. I, I wonder if there is a... I wonder if there is kind of a corollary to the law that, like, you start your life uh, in situations where you have uh, more time than money, you know, and um, there is a progression. Uh, those two lines, uh, you know, cross at a certain uh, certain point in your life, which is why you, you know, I don't know, would pay people to do things, would pay a plumber instead of doing all your plumbing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that's, from the headlines. Yeah, that's the one, Matt. Sorry, that's just, <laughs> sorry, no shade, Pete. That's just actually what came to mind. I installed a faucet today with my wife. It sort of worked. <laughs> we need to get it fixed. It will be fine. No, so, things will be fine. I installed Matt, the water you, filter you, once. I guess what you're getting at, Matt, is like, you know, uh, as you progress through life, you take on more responsibility and then like you are, you know, in charge of more things and in charge of more people and more likely to have to like assess them. Right. Which is all, all like true. But like, I think what we're talking about here is something like much more specific than that. Right. Which is like um, exams and tests that are like very particularly structured, hyper structured to be scalable um, and, and, and quickly assess, but also potentially to leave a few things by the wayside. Sure. Is that a fair way to kind of, yeah, it, uh, it is. Sorry. one more, one more tiny rat hole here. Um, when I was actually an English teacher and gave tests, like gave, you know, final exams and things like this, uh, I gave a final exam on our unit. On, I mean, it wasn't a final exam. I gave a unit exam on our unit on great expectations, uh, the Dickens novel. And, um, you know, the, the, uh, what I said was part A was going to be an essay that took about uh, – it was a 50-minute period. Part A was going to be an essay that took about um, 25 minutes, and uh, part B was going to be a sort of unannounced surprise that uh, also would take about 25 minutes. And uh, don't ask about it because you'll find out when you get to the – you'll find out when you get to the exam. So, you know, the, the essay was sort of standard stuff about the, the ending of Great Expectations and, and uh, kind of how it wraps up, you know, thematically and in, in certain technical ways what goes on in, in the novel. And it was all stuff that, you know, we had prepared for and, like, the, the application of a little bit of critical thinking, you know, and everyone did pretty much fine on it. Uh, the second part was that I showed them the South Park episode about Great Expectations. <laughs> and so, uh, I, Mark, I, whatever you say about uh, the, the power to administer tests, it does not necessarily have to be solemn or, or frankly, scalable <laughs> to any kind of, <laughs> to any kind of uh, you know, setting in which watching an episode of South Park might be a controversial. But, but to my point, it was scalable, right? You didn't like sit down with each person individually and and interlocute them and uh, to assess them like you showed like a group of students 
uh, that episode once, and you had them all do the same assignment. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's I, didn't, I didn't act it out myself for the... Uh, I would have gotten arrested, actually, if I hadn't done that. But the, yeah, no, no, fair enough. I didn't even print out separate exam papers. I put it up on a PowerPoint slide at the front of the room. Um, but sorry, Mark. That's my last. That's my last little rat hole about uh, about test test giving and and test taking. Uh, you know, sometimes the surprise is wonderful. <laughs> Can I ask you guys a question about te- about test taking? Because with all these examples that have come up, is that a trick question? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's what this podcast is for. We, right? we passed. Will... We passed. You passed. Yay. So so here's my thinking. Right. I think that there, the people have a lot of problems thinking and talking about tests. Uh, and obviously we have some of the problems associated with tests. Uh, man, person, TV, cat, pyramid, camera. I've got all of them. Right. Uh, that, that are um, people. People have a lot of issues with different kinds of tests and kind of uh, contextualizing what a test means or or what people extrapolate from it. But but I guess what I would ask is I can think of several reasons to give somebody a test, and I'm curious which of them you guys see as the most either most prevalent or most likely or the sort of default condition for for giving somebody a test. So so for example, right, the first the first condition I would say is the test itself is not necessarily the information that you need, but the test is to uh, investigate or demonstrate that somebody has done something prior to the test that you want them to do, right? So, so for example, uh, you know, you've read, you know, you've read Great Expectations, right? You have to have read the book uh, and, and you have to have sat with it and considered it. And also you have to have uh, exhibited various sorts of skills with regards to, well, you have to exhibit it. You have to have demonstrated uh, at least in private, certain sorts of skills which would be necessary for you to pass the test, right? You have to be able to comprehend the book in order to pass the test, but it is not necessarily about whether you comprehend it in the context of the test, right? It's whether you comprehended it before you took the test, mm. right? Um, and that, sure. That's sort of one notion of what a test might be. So that's that's the opposite of like, that's more like a reading quiz, right? And less like a less like an SAT reading comprehension section or something. Well, that's a good question, right? Because that's a very good question because I think one of the big problems with the SAT is the degree to which it is this kind of test without people being open about it being this kind of test, mm. uh, right? Like, like an, an, a, uh, an SAT test is either a test of your ability to prepare for the SAT or a test of your habits and your, your, uh, your predilections over the course of your life up until that point, right? So it's like you, you learn these words and these skills either because you just sort of practice them or because you study the test, mm. right? Um, and either way, there are there are advantages and disadvantages that are not you know flat in determining these things. Well, the other question is, are you testing somebody for an aptitude, right? Are you testing somebody, which is what people say the SAT is, right? It's scholastic aptitude test. Are you testing someone to see if they are good enough at doing a thing uh, or knowing a thing or whatnot, whatever it is you need them to do in order to usually in order to assign them some further thing? Right. Or like to to recruit them for some purpose. Right. You, you test somebody to determine their aptitude. You don't necessarily there was not necessarily a normative force that said, oh, well, you should have studied for this test. Right. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. But it's more like I want to take this test because I not want to know what you can do because I'm going to do something with that information regarding you. Uh, and, and there's this open question of, well, are you always supposed to do well at every test? Or if a test is really an assessment and everybody has strengths and weaknesses, then Aren't there supposed to? Or wouldn't, wouldn't you expect there to be tests that people do poorly at, 
right? Would be sort of the second qualification. This would be like me in the sit and reach, right? Or the shuttle <laughs> run test, where it's like, you know, I'm not good at touching my toes. Um, and I and I have not prepared heretofore in my life for the skill of touching my toes. And I guess there's the question of when you test whether I touch my toes, is it because you want me to be on the gymnastics team, <laughs> right? Is it because you think that I will be good at other kinds of athletics, or is it because you feel like it's important for my health to touch my toes and you want me to have already stretched when I take the test? Is it because right? is it because you're trying to get Pete to get low? Get low, get low, get low. Bend yes, over to the low, front, get low, touch get your low. toes. Boots yeah. with the fur. Uh, <laughs> but you see what I mean, right? Is it is it a situation where you're trying to test for some sort of prior prior activity, right? Are you testing for some sort of present aptitude that might have future instrumentality, right? Or is it like a contest where you're trying to win something? Um, in which case, it might not really – you might not really care whether it, the person studied for it or whether they're good at it. But you're you're having this competitive endeavor because competitive endeavors are a thing that people either enjoy or practice as a social practice, right? So so you know you might you might give a test to people like uh, you know um, I'm gonna I'll name a fact and you tell me whether it's about Wario or uh, you know Saddam Hussein, right, or both. Like you don't know Jack or like taking pub trivia quizzes. Right. It's it's like like it's a contest and it's a competition. It's supposed to be fun. And, and and even then you can see these other three categories like, oh, well, which team prepared for the pub trivia night? Were you supposed to prepare for the pub trivia night? Or do you merely live a life that prepares you for pub trivia night? Right. <laughs> that's and, that's like, definitely the overthinking sort of, it philosophy. Is right. But, like, but I think that people get pretty pissed off if there's a particular team that's really good at pub trivia because they train for pub trivia. Right. Um, whereas if you're going to say a national academic competition, you would expect that people will have trained for it. Right. And it is both trying to test your preparation for it, which has its own sort of instrumental goods and also have this aspect of fun and competition uh, that is supposed to, for its own sake, be an activity worth doing. I like what one of my favorite game shows back in the day was. Uh, Do you ever watch uh, Cram? which was a, a game show where they keep all the contestants up for 24 hours the day before the game show. And they give them all the answers to the test that they, all the answers they're going to ask them to all the questions that they're going to ask them over the course of the episode that they're going to be in. But you, you have to do it while extremely sleep deprived. And wow. usually while like on a rowing machine or like running across the, the, the room. This, this um, violates the Geneva conventions. I feel like <laughs> Look, the Sounds Geneva conventions cool. are about warfare. They're not <laughs> game shows. <laughs> well, I, I feel like game shows hey, 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 are, game game shows shows are, are warfare. By other means. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Matt. I think we had about to say the same joke. So I guess I would say that that maybe I mean maybe my examples have already kind of betrayed that it's not a foregone conclusion which of these three contexts, if there are in fact three, or if there are more, uh, which would be what you know preparation, uh, you know aptitude, or uh, or 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 what contention, right? Is it is it a preparation test? Is it an aptitude test? Or is it a contention test? Um, sure. I mean, and the, the, you are, you kind of alluded to this already, but the, the, a lot of the interesting cases are kind of at the interstices of these or, or rather are maybe in, in cases where the, the real purpose of the test is ulterior to the stated purpose of the test. Right. Right. Like, so the, the, SATs, like, Hey, if you, if your hand is bigger than your face, it means you're really intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, f- I failed that one. And I also always failed the one at which, uh, 
um, at which you're supposed to examine your fingernails. Uh, the- I guess gatekeeping would be a fourth one, right? To well, merely give someone a test in order to weed them out. Well, that's with, yeah, yeah, but that's the SAT, right? Like it it purports to it, be a, a a measure of aptitude, but really it's a, a question of like um, uh, whether you're a good member of white society, right? And that like. Uh, uh, you know, as as I learned, I think I told you on this podcast, I, I learned a long time ago uh, from the television show Different Strokes that standardized testing is racist. And, uh, you know, or at least uh, in practice. What are pra- you talking about, Willis? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear you. In, well, at least in in fact, like they are de facto racist, uh, a lot of Well, them they could be by are. design. Let's not just give them that benefit, right? Like, that's not, like it could be a case where the standardized test mirrors assumes that you have prepared for it in the way that it is designed or in the way that it is carried out, right? Uh, And that people who have lived different sorts of lives because they live in highly segregated experiences might have had different sorts of experiences in their lives up until this point that might have prepared them in different ways for the test. Or it might be an overt thing where you're saying, I'm looking for a very specific sort of person. And regardless of the these sorts of seams, right, that separate people in this society, uh, I, I am going to take the person that I want, uh, right? And I'm, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that to endorse it, but there are a lot of situations where people do stuff like that, right? Like, and not all of them are indefensible, um, where, where it's like, well, you know, I know that I can't get everybody, uh, but now, granted, in this case, it's indefensible, right? Like, in, in this case of the trenchant and, and uh, really, really deeply evil uh, in over racist uh, segregation in the United States, right? Like, there's all sure, sorts but I, of shenanigans. I, for, for what um, it's worth, in the case of the SAT specifically, I think a little too much blame gets laid at, at the feet of the test because, like, I, you know, I gather, you know, at least when I, the last time I looked into it, is that it's very good at doing what it purports to do, which is predict uh, how someone will do in their first year of college. And um, so I, I think that, you know, the, the problem is not necessarily. Uh, with the test, the problem is probably with college, you know, or with, you know, is it with a more fundamental quality uh, of the, you know, of the culture and that it's being reflected um, rather than, you know, uh, created by the by the particular test. But there's an example uh, anyway of one where, you know, it seems like the it seems like the stated you know, the stated purpose is one thing and, and, you know, the actual purpose is another. I mean, I think that the, the most common ones, right. Are the, the tests of contention, you know, cause like if you played little league, right. Like tests of contention were a big part of your life, uh, growing up or if, you know, that like, it seems like the one that we're going to get the most of, um, in the course of, uh, in the course of normal, in the course of kind of average expectable life experience, you know, and and they become sinister when uh, they become sinister in proportion to the stakes of the tests of contention, right? Like uh, your your average like pickup soccer game. Um, fairly low stakes, right? Like bragging rights or who has to buy drinks or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the most dangerous game, <laughs> like <laughs> literally hunting human beings, uh, right. that's, yeah. that's very sinister. That test of contention would be very sinister. Um, yeah. you know, 
uh, in practice. It probably happens more often than we like to think, right? I've certainly re- seen that movie made a whole bunch of times. <laughs> so it's got... <laughs> Right. I mean, like, no, yeah. so yeah, what is yeah. it? What is a purge? Is a purge a test of contention or is it a test of, uh, you know, one of these, a, a test of preparation, right? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there are different ways of doing the purge. So, you know, it, it depends. Yeah. I guess there's the situation because I'm thinking of the, the, uh, aphorism the more you the more you sweat in peace the less you bleed in war right is one is a is a saying that i've heard many times in and not exclusively dragon ball related contexts but uh i think it is something that vegeta says to his son at some point but the notion that you should be testing yourself and being tested by others constantly because it is a means of preparation for some other thing that's going to happen um and, and in that case it's the pra- the test is the practice, right? Is there a distinction between the practice and the test? I mean, I think back and think, man, I would have been a lot better at Little League if I practiced baseball at all outside of Little League, right? <laughs> like, like, uh, but at the same time, Little League has practice, right? Aren't you supposed to get better at it from the practice that you could? You're not going to get good at hitting a baseball from taking like 15 swings at, at underhand batting practice like one time a week, maybe every other week, right, for a couple of months when you're and uh, it's, it's not it's not the kind of thing that's going to work. No, I mean, um, the, the whole the whole thing is is conditioned on a system where your parents, a parent or, you know, both parents withhold love uh, from you yes, as yes. a child <laughs> until you can perform certain athletic feats. And even then only express it in the in the kind of the most roundabout terms. And then then you'd get good at baseball real fast. You know, I learned it from you, Dad. I learned it from watching <laughs> you. <laughs> Can we get into semantics a little bit here? Like, because okay, so you're saying that uh, the um, the tests are practice, right? Aren't they actual? I would argue that um, the, the kind of um, uh, like that the, the, they can't be the same thing. Um, that is to say, like you know, because a test has consequences, um, and practice is by definition kind of like you know um, a, a a safe space where for you for you to prepare and conduct activities that will lead you to uh, the time where they have consequences. Um, now, as I'm talking that through, I'm realizing that, like, you know, this, it's not a, a black and white sort of distinction, but um, there is, like, a, a pretty uh, fair amount of difference between the two of those things, right? So, like, like the two of them can't, like, actually overlap with well, each other. Ma- well, Mark, Mark, are, we're, we're talking about practice here, right? We're, we're, we're talking about practice. Practice, right? I just realized neither of you are going to get that joke like, practice? at all. <laughs> practice? Okay, Mark, that's what we're talking about? Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You're yes. referring to a famous NBA basketball player who was um, uh, just uh, just uh, dismissing the idea, the very idea of practice yes. as being important. And right? you remember who he is, right? His was name? Al- Allen Iverson, is that right? Correct. Oh, See, okay. you've just been tested. Ah, I passed. There we go. <laughs> I, I, colors. I would have failed. I, I, I don't know about sports. For what it's worth, I think at the time, Allen Iverson's best friend had just been murdered or something crazy, and he was very upset. But that didn't really come across because we were, of course, the test that Allen Iverson was being subjected to was whether he could man and navigate a post-game press conference or whatever it was that he was talking at. Um, but yeah, no, but I think I think you raise a good question, right, which is that, of course, you know, do you practice like you play? Uh, I mean, the sports are a great example of this, but they aren't the exclusive example. Do you do, you do problem sets? in preparation for exams uh do you work out problems do you read in preparation for reading tests and comprehension tests Uh, or do you do some sort of instrumental preparation that is more narrow I, i think that uh 
So, for example, right, I'm, and again, Mark, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the semantics as your request, and by all means, seize the conch back if you want it. Um, but if you were to be trying to get better at, say, StarCraft, right? So I've spent a fair amount of time thinking about getting better at StarCraft without actually getting better at StarCraft. And, and the secret to that is, of course, not practicing and not playing. But, um, but the, uh, and you, all you got to do is watch lots of YouTube videos, and you, too, can think about getting good at StarCraft while not getting good at StarCraft. <laughs> Uh, it, it really is something that's available to everybody. So um, all you need, you don't even need StarCraft. Um, but there is, there's a particular sort of conventional wisdom in StarCraft and sort of in general esports practice that if that I think is also the case in other forms of practice, but not exclusively, that uh, if you are tr- trying to get better, you should attempt to get better at one thing at a time. So you may play a whole bunch of games because you might not necessarily have a custom map set up for you. Some some people would set up a sort of custom map or a modified version of a game that would allow you to practice the same thing over and over and over again. I'm thinking of how in back in Team Fortress 2, if you wanted to know how to jump using the rocket launcher with the soldier character, there were whole courses about practicing how to rocket jump with the soldier character. Uh, and you could you could use those courses rather than play an actual game where if you screw it up, you die um, in real life. No, not really. But uh, but but that but people would when people don't have that sort of thing available to them all the time and they want to be familiar and comfortable with a game situation they would play a game you know which you could view as a test as a form of test which i guess is the other question uh, how are games and tests similar or different i think we're talking mostly about intellectual tests uh but other kinds of tests as well but in the game they might put some particular constraints upon themselves that the game doesn't impose as their sort of practice goal right you can say okay i want to have 60 drones by 35 seconds. No, by like however many minutes that's going to take. See, I'm not actually a good StarCrafter. I would know the answer to that question. Uh, but like I want to be able to build out, you know, five tanks in my Red Alert 2 game by like the three minute mark to be able to tank rush in a particular timing. And so I'm going to put an artificial constraint on my on my game that's going to make it feel more like practice because practice is kind of the land of drills uh, and, and kind of broken down and yep. shrunken down versions of games. Um, so I guess I'm talking say, yeah. about like kind of just creating for yourself an artificial, gradually, gradually increasing scale of consequence and uh, importance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like creating stakes for yourself. If you're doing it for yourself, it's totally arbitrary. Right. But if it's like if you're kind of like, you know, doing the practice tests um, on your own and uh, uh, leading up to like an esports, actual esports competitive thing with like real money on the line, then like that's a different, bit of a different story. Right. Is it different? What do you mean? I don't understand. Oh, I don't know. It's like solo play, like just for leisure, right? As opposed to like professional esports, I think is what I'm getting. Wait, at. wait, are you saying that we do this for fun? You think that I would want to get better at StarCraft because I enjoy it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because I want to get gold. I want to get gold. I want to get the special. I want to get the special Tyka skin at the end of the season. I want to get my rewards. I want the blinking lights and the loot boxes. Give me, give me the loot. Give me the loot. <laughs> it's all about what you get. Games are about what you get. They're not about fun. Get that out of your head. <laughs> my mistake i did not pass that test clearly <laughs> give me the loot give me the loot no i i mean i i hear i definitely hear what you're saying the idea that that so so okay so what i'm hearing and i don't want to disagree with it because i feel like some these are different semantic frameworks and they can they can coexist in everything is that you have this notion of tests as being associated with consequences um can you unpack that a little bit more yeah, well, uh, yeah, okay, so let's go back to the, like, professional-related uh, tests that we were talking about, right? Like, if you pass this exam, you become eligible for a promotion, 
mm-hmm. that kind of idea, right? And so in, in that case, then um, the tests are, aren't aren't practiced in terms of like you know if like if I were practicing for for taking that exam, I would I don't know be studying for and taking practice exams, and those have no no consequence. Whereas where I sit for the actual exam, um, then there there are the consequences. Um, I guess like the uh, now that we're I'm thinking about this a little bit more. You could argue that that exam, even though it does have consequences, in a way practice for that next job because it is like designed, I suppose, right, to make you think critically about the things that you would do in this future position. Now, in reality, um, it, it there's this is what I was talking about earlier. There's this like very, very strange disconnects between um, these exams and what they are evaluating for and the real world activities that accompany them, right? Um, you know, you, you, like. Uh, in the professional world, ostensibly you are preparing for this exam by you know doing your job and like sitting in the emails and sitting sitting in meetings, writing emails, um, you know steering courses of of action you know in a in a office professional environment, and then just to do this exam, like you sit in front of a computer and you concentrate extremely hard on text without any distractions and answer multiple choice questions. Those are not things that you doing that you did were doing on your on your job, and those are not things that you will be doing on your job, uh, and and yet they are here to measure how successful you will be. At that job, the whole thing, like you know, it's it is uh, absurd when you frame it in that way. Um, at least when I was thinking about it earlier. But now, if you, if but Pete, as you just reframe that particular activity of like sitting for uh, sitting for the exam and going through that ritual as a, a type of preparation for the ultimate test of like doing well in your job, then I guess it sort of makes sense. Yeah. I, wow. This you makes really me think of the, to make, to make This sense. makes Go me ahead. think of like the the. Um, the schema of like homework quiz test and each of them having a sort of increased looming sense of dread associated with them, right? Like, yeah. Oh, you have, you have a home, you have an assignment. I would say assignment quiz test and assignment is something, you know, each situation it's about nor most of the time looking at a piece of paper and, or, or I guess something online. I don't even know how kids do it these days if they do it at all. But back in my day, um, I would assume it's like looking at it at, at, a, at, at text, right? Mostly text, perhaps images that have prompts associated with them that you're supposed to provide a response to the prompt and you're going to be judged and your performance is going to be judged based on what you put after the prompt. And so in that sense, the difference between an assignment and a quiz and a test is one of gravity, right? And, and the importance of it. Like one assignment means less than a quiz and one quiz means less than a test. Uh, whereas if we're talking about a test versus a practice, right, then that's different because you're, you're really talking about um, what the sort of goal of what you're doing is rather than the consequences of what you're doing. So I feel like there are multiple different axes on which the word test demarcates a special and specific place. Um, I mean, I'm not talking about like blood tests. I'm not talking about like puns, uh, but why not? I am a dad. I should dad joke, right? Um, why, 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 how does, where, what does an elephant bring on vacation? His trunk. Uh, it's, um, read that one on a popsicle, but yeah, no, it's, you just, see, Pete, you, yeah. just you just passed the paternity test with that joke. <laughs> <laughs> you are the father. You are the father. <laughs> 
what about those, right? Like televised paternity tests where there's this sense of like vindication, where there's some sort of there's this like normative, moral and like existential moment of either, you know, distress and defeat or exaltation based on the expectation of whether you're the father of this child or not. Well, right. But the, and there's, yeah, the, the, that's another case where the, the real purpose of the test is ulterior to the stated purpose of the test, right. because, you know, the real purpose of the test is misogyny. Right. Now, I will I will say this. So I feel like I mean, I don't want the example that comes to mind is not one that I want to go into, uh, but but perhaps I will I will soften it. So. With regards to parenting in particular, right, uh, when I'm heading into parenting, there are a lot of topics related to parenting where I hear a lot that, hey, you know, people don't really talk about this, but right. People don't talk about this part of it, but. And and at the end of the day, it's like, well, that was all that people were talking about. Everybody kept talking about not talking about it, but that's all I learned, right? Like an example might be what, like, uh, um, I, well, a good example is what the emotional the emotional roller coaster uh, that the father goes through postpartum, right? It's like nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about that. We just talked about it like four times, uh, three times. I didn't. I failed that test. Uh, camera person, Ardvark, avocado. Sasuke Uchiha, got it, nailed it. Um, it but but the, what, I'm, what I'm what I'm asking is, I feel like people talk a lot about the ways in which testing is bad, uh, and and these days it seems very popular to talk about ways in which testing fails to give you useful information or serves primarily to enable various sorts of evil and uh, oppressive uh, regimes and and all this other sorts of stuff. What I don't hear about a lot is what testing is what good is, for. What what is nobody talking about, Pete? What is nobody talking about? Nobody's talking. <laughs> nobody, about- <laughs> nobody's talking about like like the tests that you do end up taking in your life that do end up mattering. I mean, I don't know. I'll ask you this, Mark. I'll ask you this. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up two examples. I'll, I'll do the more fun one first. So, um, watching the news today, I think it was the news. It was one of those human interest things on the news. They were talking about an extremely gifted uh, young musician who was a blind African-American pianist uh, in the sort of uh, in the sort of uh, superficial vein of Stevie Wonder uh, and somebody of, of great, of great genius with regards to playing the piano. And uh, and they mentioned that he could. Well, what, I think one of the things they were testing, they tested him was they tested his uh, visual cortex when he was listening to his music and found that his visual cortex, though he's blind from birth, was very active when he was listening to music, which they were putting forward as a hypothesis for why he had so much talent with music. Uh, but the inter- one of the interesting parts was they said someone I think the interviewer asked, could he play a song having only just heard it? And they were like, oh, yes. Right. And I, and I said, to Sarah, like, well, I know people who can do that. Right. And I thought about it. Right. It's like I know people can hear a song and then play the song. Um, and and I thought yeah, and this, two, two of them are on the podcast. <laughs> exactly, like both of you. And, and I do wonder if part of why you could do that is because you had to take a whole bunch of tests when you were going through classes at being able to listen to and reproduce music. Right. Um, I mean, so but here's here's the difference. Right. Is that. That and as with the case with a lot of things about music, and I'll I'll let go and let you guys talk about this experience for a bit because I find this pretty fascinating and interesting. And I'm sure Jordan would also have a lot of opinions on this if you were on the podcast right now. Um, 
that in music, there's a, a pretty clear distinction between people who are able to do things because of kind of cognitive uh, cognitive uh, non-typicalities, such as people with perfect pitch or synesthesia, who have something with their brain that's different. And they do they, they endeavor upon music in a way that that has sort of rails on it that other people don't get. Right. They kind of can tell things that other people don't know. Uh, whereas, you know, you might some person might have perfect pitch, meaning that they their brain has this thing going on potentially. And this is just one theory. Right. Right, that that allows them to distinguish uh, the the name of a note right uh, without the context of notes next to it. Whereas almost all musicians have relative pitch, where they can't necessarily perfectly name a pitch, but they can tell you like the interval distance between one pitch and another pitch, and given the context of a couple of other notes, figure out what the note is most of the time. And I would feel like with this kid, it's probably similar, where he might have this kind of cognitive atypicality where he can hear a piece of music and reproduce it on the piano. But for you guys, it's something that you trained to do over the course of many years and sort of came upon being able to do, but it has tricks to it, right? It has like shortcuts and it has things that you've learned from experience. Uh, at least how I explained to Sarah, I'll drop the ball and I'll, and I'll, and I'll ask you guys to talk about kind of sight listening or sight reading or whatever, however you would qualify this kind of musical test and whether taking tests in it in the past has made you better at doing it in the future and whether that's ever been useful to you or not. So I'll, I'll try to answer first. And Pete, you're, you're generally right in what you said. Like, and there's there's like you know techniques and things that you learn over time. Was I tested in a formal and structured way? And, and is that how I learned it? Eventually, yes, I was. And I took though, and I sat down for an actual music theory class in college. Um, but no, that was not like the thing that did it. It was just um, kind of just experiment, free form experimentation, practice, if you will, mm. um, that got me there. That's how I would put it. Matt, so, would so you, you so you would say that when you got a test that said, listen to this piece of music and then like say write it down or or play it on a piano, it wasn't necessarily the preparation strictly for that test that enabled you to do that, but but the life you lived preparing for pub trivia as somebody who like played and enjoyed and participated in music over the course of many years is what kind of prepared you for that that kind more of more that more that rather than like yeah. specifically preparing for the test. Yeah. And you know what? It would be it would really be possible to be a very active young kid musician, like practicing a lot, and actually never do the sorts of things that would make you really good at reproducing a reproducing a piece of music from the radio or or something like that. You feel me, Mark? I mean, you think uh, you think I'm right? Like if you if you were uh, unpack that some more. If you were so if you were focused entirely on like reproducing stuff from sheet music or something like that, like. There would be a way to become a really technically proficient performer of music, maybe not musician, maybe that's the wrong word, performer of music, without actually having it. I mean, look, Peter, the, the thing I liken it to a lot is is learning a language. And I started music when I was five, which is like the, you know, the time when you, the time when you're supposed to teach your kids, uh, second languages and like, you know, neuroplasticity and stuff like that. So like when we, the, the things, things that I've always done with music, well, I'm, I'm just fluent in that language, you know, I'm, I'm just bilingual. And so like, it would be like, uh, it would be like if someone said, um, just repeat a uh, person, woman, man, camera, TV. And I went, and it's like, yeah, okay, that's person, woman, man, uh, camera. Um. I am so impressed. That's so impressive. <laughs> uh, camera, you know, um, iPhone. And the, the, but that, that, like, it's possible, it is possible not to have that. Uh, and, and that, that is, there, there are, there are, 
different kinds of musician, you know, like in the same way that that there are different kinds of speakers of of any language. I mean, there there are people who write really good, uh, I don't know, d- d- legal contracts, but probably couldn't write a poem. You know, or there are people who write really great poems, but would be terrible at at drafting a legal contract, right? Like there are, um, I don't know, those actually, those are bad examples. I wish I had better examples that, that, uh, uh, that I could just come up with because those, those are sort of right brain, left brain. And that's not the distinction necessarily that, that I mean to make, but, um, but yeah, so I, I think actually there is a sort of space for kind of thinking, thinking about, something like aptitude, like something like a, a, a trait, you know, that is relatively stable throughout life, whether or not, you know, it's, it's activated uh, epigenetically as it were, right? Like whether or not you actually uh, trigger the mutation or the superpower, uh, it, it sits there, it sits there latent in you. Um, and like the, the really great musicians um, that I know, at least the, the ones who practice are this weird combination of an, an a quote unquote natural aptitude and a try hard. Right. And that like, it, it's in the, the weird alchemy between those two that the, um, you know, that the, that the thing happens, but I guess what I would liken it to most is being fluent being fluent in a language and being able to recognize and remember um, statements in that language, even sometimes very complex statements because you're, you're uh, fluent in it. Well, now do you think, cause I feel like music has a lot of harshness. <laughs> what might be interpreted as harshness, at least in my experience and how it's instructed. Maybe that's just my experience, but I guess rigor I don't know. I feel like rigor has gotten a bad rap. Um, and, I, and I wonder if you guys have totally like the ship has sailed and rigor is wasteful uh, and we shouldn't do it. Right. Um, or whether there is, there are reasons. I mean, I don't know. What is the, what is the, what is the bad rap? The, yeah. What is the bad rap that, that rigor gets? Also uh, defi- well, defi- define rigor. So, okay. When I'm saying rigor, I guess it can mean a lot of things. Um, when I'm talking about rigor, I'm talking about adults for the most part, holding children to specific sorts of narrow standards with with uh, either reward or punishment associated with those narrow standards in order to cultivate in them uh, skills, uh, fondnesses, uh, commitments, right, that lead them in the direction of a developed appreciation or practice of a particular thing sure right what what happens yeah yeah, what how bad do you yell at your kid when they don't feel like practicing is what you're saying right 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 exactly and again and you even saying it it's like oh no that makes me cringe right i I mean i mean is there a way to make an olympian but without ruining their childhood uh like i'm I'm not sure you know i'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) no i'm sure i like that wasn't meant to be funny, or at least, <laughs> at least wasn't meant to be to be frivolous. Now I'm the wrong guy to ask about this because I had kind of a, a little bit of a nervous breakdown when I was 11 and quit the piano for a bunch of years. Um, and I, you know, like I was on track to be, I was supposed to be like the expectations put on me by people, you know, sort of external to my family, but they got 
people in my family to buy into them was that like I was going to do capital G great things in in music at the piano and all all this stuff. And so I had a, you know, uh piano teacher who was like, you know, was not as abusive as uh, her piano teacher had been. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it's that process. I'll say, I'll say that yeah. for her. You know, well, I mean, yeah. you know what they say about the about the cycle. But the one uh, thing that her- Gen Z doesn't really get about boomers <laughs> is where they came from. Because they didn't meet those people when they were young enough to cause a ruckus because they were Hellcats. Let me tell you My teacher's teacher used to close the piano lid on, on her fingers and lean down on it while she was playing in order to strengthen the muscles of the, the bridge. Um, you know, and all, all she would ever do is like yell at me until I cried and stuff. And so I, I actually quit. Um, like I, you know, I, I have a very fraught relationship with this question, I suppose, because like I am, uh, I, I am nowhere near, um, you know, what I would consider to be a good, good piano player, even though I have a, a decent musical mind. Um, because I stopped practicing with rigor um when when i was about 11 and uh you know that said i i wish there had been a kind of non-dickish way like a non sort of abusive way to uh inculcate some of those those things because it is it is one of those things where like i i don't want to practice but i want to have practice <laughs> And, (laughs) you know, and that like, and actually now, you know, I see the rewards, um, I, I see the rewards, the long-term rewards, and I'm used to kind of doing things like, uh, you know, having a retirement account and like doing things, you know, the benefit of which I won't see for decades. Um, and, and that was not, you know, that was not the case and the particular techniques used to, uh, uh, used with me in particular were not all, all that great at, at uh, you know, bringing me around to that kind of thing. But like, yeah, Pete, the, I mean, there are two, there are two little aphorisms that are said to, to people starting any course of musical study. Um, one is, you know, and I'm sure you heard these in the course of your, uh, uh, you know, your musical education. One is that uh, it's not the practice makes perfect. It's that perfect practice makes perfect. And uh, the other is that uh, it's not how many years you play. It's how many hours you play. And uh, both of those hundred percent true. And you're, you're totally right to be, uh, to be on the side of, uh, on the side of rigor. So, you know, I'm just saying you start, uh, start the kid on piano at five and lock them in a room until, uh, until you hear those scales with uh, evenness of tone and, and, you know, roundness of finger. So I will by and large co-sign everything that Matt said, uh, although uh, thankfully I was spared the, uh, the the, the 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 level of trauma that you had to go through. Would you describe Matt in terms of uh, your piano trade? That's, that reminds me of uh, the scene from Starship Troopers, uh, where uh, someone gets a knife impaled into their hand, and that's somehow meant to be a lesson into how to fight the bugs. <laughs> well, yeah, your enemy can't your enemy can't hit you if they have no hands. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so going back to the point of the uh, Olympic athlete that you said, right? You know that uh, um, you can't have an Olympic athlete without ruining ruining their childhood. Well, it's like, well, okay, fine, yeah, but but you can have someone who, um, in uh, you know, has a, a a positive relationship with sports and athletics uh, as an adult. 
um, who went through a certain level of rigor as a child, um, not a all encompassing one. Um, and had some difficult moments with it, but uh, not a like you know the psyche breaking level of difficulty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete, have you seen a little movie called Searching for Bobby Fisher? <laughs> it is, of course, my favorite movie ever. Which is one of those things, one of those statements that seems too declarative until I rewatch it, and I'm like, "Yup, it's my favorite movie ever. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> I love that movie so much." How many, how many Grandmaster points do I get for this podcast? <laughs> And there's that wonderful moment right in that movie where it's like, how many kids get up to bat every time afraid of losing their father's love? And the answer is all of them. (laughs) All of it, Kevin. All of it. Oh, so wonderful. Because that is because that is a movie about the phenomena that we're talking about, which I feel like, again, I'm blurring the line between games and tests and sports. Um, but But it seems related, right? When we're talking about the the inefficacy of testing i do to an extent think that there is an underlying question about the cultural phenomenon of rigor uh which is seen as uh is it fair to say colonialist right like the idea that like that it's a that were like capitalist even though of course we all know that you know venezuela has a great orchestra system that's been based <laughs> entirely on very very rigid and strict testing and hierarching of students right um but uh but so it produces you know, not, it produces i mean can you can you make a music director of the los angeles philharmonic when he's 27 without ruining someone's childhood you know, like, <laughs> he's uh he's uh the, the my dog's namesake you know gustavo dudamel he's a genius <laughs> 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 well, yeah, I guess I guess what I'm saying is that that uh, the there there does one does hope that there is a middle way, right, between uh, the notion of well, because kids need structure because they need to know because uh, otherwise, you know, they don't they don't figure things out and they get scared and 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 alienated and and of course they can go run off and cause trouble in other ways. I mean. It, and what that means, right, is it can mean loving and soothing and kindness, and it can mean cruelty and nastiness, and, and they will conform their behavior or their feelings, right, and their expectations, more their feelings and expectations than their behavior per se. They'll formulate their expectations about the world based on how these structures are built for them or not built for them, and then their behavior will be, you know— uh, calibrated to their expectations for how the world will treat them. And as such, you don't want to like treat kids with a ton of cruelty. But at the same time, I'm just, I, I am, I am intrigued by, because perhaps it's just, perhaps I'm really biased because I was really good at tests and I also really always enjoyed them. Right. Like I always liked tests. Test days were fun. Like, uh, I, oh, I liked, oh yeah. yeah. Like did, were, was it the anticipation of reward or do you feel like there was something intrinsic to the process that, that oh, no, there's something intrinsic to the process for sure. To being able to look at the paper and being like, I know that uh. I figured that one out. I did the, you know, I, I've got that. I can do this, you know? And it's like, you know, the, the, the satisfaction of overcoming, and and the and the and the sort of call and response of problem and solution um figuring things out is fun i mean but i'm a i'm a huge nerd but i like i like so if you i highly recommend by the way the mind your decisions youtube channel if you've never gone to it uh presh tall walker it's just a youtube channel of math problems and every day it's like a different math problem and these are math problems from fairly advanced math exams for young people so there are things that as an adult you think you should be able to get but you probably can't um 
and uh, and I'll, I'll watch that for fun. I mean, I, I think if I'd like look through Steam late at night and be like, how come there's no number munchers anymore? I would love to just play number munchers right now, right? I would just love to solve arithmetic math problems very fast. That would just be really soothing for me right now. Do you, I, um, I've gotten that like over in quarantine. I've gotten that. I mean, it's not quarantine. We need in isolation. I've gotten that in semi isolation in unfaithfully observed semi isolation. <laughs> I've uh, you know I started watching cracking the cryptic the the um yes yes the youtube channel where two affable british men do sudokus for you and my god it's the most soothing thing it's mm-hmm. like you know uh <laughs> to the point now where my girlfriend who quarantines with me now if i'm ever like upset about something she's like honey go watch a sudoku and you'll feel better, you'll feel better <laughs> oh, in a minute. And I started, uh, I started um, playing them on. I've never been good at them, but I feel like I actually got like really good tips and stuff. Uh, it's partly it's a visual thing. I'm an auditory person, not a visual person. So like the number grid is like just uh, un. It's I. It is not sort of egocentric to me, like the the visual processing of that. But you know, I I do okay, and I got some apps, and like, yeah, that's that's one hundred percent, Pete. Like that's been just super uh, super fun. Like the but the idea, I think the idea there, at least partly, is like low stakes, right? Um, the you know. The, the oh if, with the sudokus and stuff yeah with and and number munchers and stuff like that that is to say you don't if you get one wrong you know it doesn't necessarily feel like the troggles will get you you will die <laughs> you will <laughs> no, i mean i don't know it's it's tricky i don't i feel like there's a certain there's a certain attitude about competitiveness where that you can get to this mind space where the stakes don't matter. Well, it's not that the stakes don't matter. It's that that you're sort of swimming through the stakes, and they're almost like an echo in your ears. It's hard to describe how I experience it. And it's funny because I feel like the world is like very specifically tailored to reward like my experience of testing, which is one that I consider to be extremely strange. And so, like, it shouldn't be built around to reward my sense of testing. But just the idea that like when you're really, but this is also somebody who's performed, you know, hundreds of improv shows over the years, right? Like going out in front of audiences with no with no plan. Uh, just the idea that you that you can get into this place where you uh, you you are both embracing and also ignoring the stakes of what you are doing, um, and and that that maybe it's high stakes, maybe it's low stakes. It can feel kind of the same. Um, sure, I mean, I'm also the, a guy the, at, the, at that point, the, I don't <laughs> the point, the, the point. I mean, with improv or with a lot of kinds of performance, like to a certain extent, you learn like learning to navigate that right like is actually yeah. part of the part of the game part of the like, training part of I, for being able to walk on the field for a game and play the game at maximum intensity is part of what you have to practice when you're practicing perfectly uh, same know, with music right I, yeah. I remember early in my career in professional entertainment like i could not audition because my hand would shake so noticeably that the sides in my hand would like flap 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 and make this god awful paper rustling sound uh the whole time and and i think people just pity me while I was, you know, (laughs) while I was doing it. And I learned that, you know, I, I learned actually to kind of make friends with the nerves and that they were, they were a sign of kind of a special time. They were kind of a sign of a special occasion, you know, and that, that like, that it was, uh, it was sort of fun. Um, 
you know, it became like part of the, you know, part of the experience, like incense in church or something like that, where, where it was like a sensory thing, you know, a sensory aspect that like became, uh, uh, expected and even kind of welcomed. Um, yeah when it you know when it came around uh because it meant that it was go time and and we like go time but that that like i mean i think that like uh, certain things pete like um in in all of these it's it's almost like the 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 worst examples have have ruined it for everything i think with with what you're calling rigor uh with aggression and competition in general i mean well with competition in general and aggression uh as a as a separate matter like the fact that there are bad ways to do it has kind of poisoned the well um, for all the benefits of mm-hmm. you know of these kinds of things and like you know the 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 uh, like the thing is not to make kids less competitive. The thing is to make kids secure so that they know that, you know, when they compete and lose, you still love them <laughs> and like yeah. that you, you know, that they're still okay. Um, because there are all kinds of benefits. Um, there are all kinds of benefits to kind of engaging in the competition, uh, in a healthy way. And that's like, uh, you know, I, I think, in in the laudable it's something that we lose sight of in the laudable um effort to protect people from the worst effects of of these things mm. mark what about you what do you think about steaks i mean not just delicious seared sizzling ones but you know does do you oh, oh, like steaks or do you do you like hamburger more do you like sorry do you like uh do you like high stakes or low stakes or does it change the experience of things for you I, I, what are you talking about sort of the, the last few sets of comments i was thinking mostly about structure actually right and maybe mm. this, as we start to wrap this up i try to kind of tie a bow around things right like structure is good insofar as it, like you know going back to the point of you know children need structure right like it it provides uh just some something other than just like total unordered chaos right it it uh, so it provides some boundaries in order to conduct an activity um in which case might be you know to to assess uh, competency on something like that right but structures as well if you think about it as a as a physical thing can also be barriers right things that keep mm-hmm. people out um and then you know just do not allow for things that don't fit within the structure which can be a lot of things as well too so like it's um it, it's it's complicated i think is what i'm saying Fair, fair, fair. I, I, know, I know, Mark, you had wanted to talk a little bit about some of the other different kinds of tests that I don't know if we had time to get to, but uh, um, was there another kind of test that you wanted to... I think you, you had said something about citizenship tests that you wanted to discuss. Oh, I, I put that up because that, that's, that's, that's... Well, that's... The I looked at it, I'm like, that's there. interesting. That's an interesting subtopic of all of this, right? A test... Uh, but I mean, do you have t- uh, thoughts on that? Uh, just uh, to see here. So we, we've put out sorts of different uh, categories of tests, right? They, they, for testing prep- preparation, aptitude, um, contention, gatekeeping, right? Like prep- preparation is certainly an aspect of this. Um, aptitude is, is kind of tough to say, but gatekeeping is certainly a big part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Almost by definition. Yeah. I kind of feel like if you're doing an aptitude test, the notion should be – if, if you have a sort of if. OK, so if you have a population of people for whom you have some sort of either responsibility or opportunity in a broad way, then if you're testing people's aptitudes, it should be somewhat similar to testing their predilections in the sense of it should help you optimize 
uh, how to get people to do the things that either they're good at or they'll like. Yeah, right? sure. It should have um, the it should have the normative force of checking someone's height. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, even, you know, yes or no, right? Because a lot of people don't like that they're not tall. And a lot of people don't like that they're too tall. But I know exactly what you're saying. It should like the problem. The biggest problem with college testing is, of course, the lack of of remunerative employment that you can get not going to college. Right. Like like if it's like, well, the, some people should go to college and some people shouldn't go to college and some people are prepared to go to college now and some people need more preparation to go to later. And by the way, if you're not prepared to go to college now, you will take a huge hit to your earnings for the rest of your life. Right. Like like barring certain sorts of career endeavors that not everybody is going to do. Right. It's like the the reality of the labor market right now is very hostile to not going to college. And it still is. Don't believe the hype. It's still very hostile. You still are very disadvantaged if you don't go to college. Right. Like like it's but not Pete, fair. all these billionaires dropped out to create startups <laughs> and they're billionaires. So college is over. Right, Pete? I mean, look, you know, I, I mean, how many of our friends? including myself, work minimum wage jobs either like during or right after college, you know, for for a long time. Right. And lived in like something close to resembling poverty for a while, uh, even with like an Ivy League education. Right? Like it's like to, to, just because it's not working out for you right now because you graduated into a recession. Don't make you don't let it think that it will never benefit you uh, because it will. And particularly because it will dis- benefit everybody else. Right. It's not fair. Uh, I guess like that's what I'm saying is like if you have a test like in the military to see who's going to be the officers, well, you should make sure you pay the enlisted people enough. Right. And give them enough benefits so that it's like not just this idea of like, you know, you know, we're going to keep the keep the orange and throw away the peel. Right. A man is not a piece of fruit, uh, as as one particular person who really uh, appreciated meritocracy once said in a, in a play written by another person who really appreciated meritocracy. Um, but um uh, so sorry, that salesman had a rough time. It's a rough sell. It's a rough sell. <laughs> but it's interesting, right? Like if a citizenship test, <laughs> right, is supposed to be testing what uh, it's not supposed to test your recall. It's supposed to test what your level of investment in the idea of being a citizen, right? Like and your preparation and the serious time you've spent thinking about it. Or it's also supposed to test your like intentions based on what you know and sort of like again to to plumb the depths of Arthur Miller is like you know i heard goody proctor talking to the devil like if you had bad intentions you wouldn't be able to recall when the delaware or in the battle of trenton was <laughs> like it's yeah. like well it's, you're it's not it's, able to name george washington george washington's name wouldn't even be in your mouth yeah. right if you hated america <laughs> like it's 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 not something that anybody could just study for um well i mean yeah i mean it's i, I guess whether what, what they're testing pete is whether intentions must be paid or whether <laughs> whether you'll do them for free. And the con- what's the con- I guess that's the question, right? Is what are the consequences for failing the test? Right? Like like for any test, what are the consequences for failing the test and why? And and I think that that's a question that I don't hear often enough asked about tests that people don't like, right? It's like, well, you know, the SAT is unfair because I guess what the consequences if you do poorly on the SAT then you don't get into college. Um I mean, that's not entirely accurate, 
but at the same time, no, it's, it's like, a, it's okay, a, it's a huge lie. College, college is a buyer's market. I guess the, yeah. you know, the top 30 colleges are not a buyer's market, right. but, and then, but the question is, oh, well, but there's certain jobs that only pull from certain colleges. And if you're talking about 10 years from now, then somebody's going to have different opportunities. And this is all based on this test, which isn't, which is mostly not there to, as market said, test for whether you could do that job 10 years from now, but is whether you are like, ready to go onto a college campus freshman year and, you know, take a course without having to take additional prep or whatever. Right. Like, um, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's interesting. It's, uh, like if you're, if you're testing to prepare people fine and the consequences of failure is like a punishment because you're trying to operantly condition people to do things that they're supposed to do. Um, if provided you have the social context with that person that you have the rightful and are, are rightfully executing, Right. Some manner of legitimate authority to demand that of somebody. Right. Like as opposed to just sort of asserting it over people. Um, but in the case of these aptitude tests, it's like, well, if I don't have an aptitude for this, let's not like you have to have an aptitude for something. Um, like that's, that's the point. The point of aptitude don't, is don't tell me that going. you're not the boss of me. I don't have <laughs> to have an aptitude for anything if I don't want it. Well, then you just passed the drama test, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to have to leave it there. So the rest of the test is left as an exercise to the reader. <laughs> if you want to, to the listener, if you have anything you want to say about, uh, about testing, about music, about your own bad experiences with sports or an instrument, please. Uh, let's uh, let's have some spontaneous group therapy in the comment section for this uh, episode for the show notes there. Go uh, go on and click through and let us know what you think. All right. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking a Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks uh, for uh, podcasting with me, Pete and Mark. And until next week, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't. doesn't. Camera, woman, man, datara, sasori, kakuzu. He's with Hidan. Then there's Juzo, who's with Itachi. And Conan, don't forget Nagato, Orochimaru, Toby, White Zetsu, Black Zetsu. Did I say camera already? I think I said camera already. <laughs> well done, Mr. President. <laughs>